We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. It's funny to blame to go around, but it starts with head coach Brian Flores, who has continually tinkered with his offensive coordinators. Um, no one's lasted there more than a year. Their personnel, the offensive line has been really bad for a long time, but they haven't really invested in it uh, to the degree they probably should in terms of established players. Their draft picks have been woeful. They're getting nothing out of those three first-rounders right now from a year ago. And they better hope that Tua can save the season uh, when he comes back in a couple of weeks. If you've got two offensive coordinators, you've probably got zero. And Brian Flores has continually been too cute by half with how he's put that staff together um, and sort of the heavy-fisted way he's run things there. I think a lot of chickens are coming home to roost. They're lucky that they play a really weak schedule, but they're still... Uh, in my mind, a team that's nowhere close to contending. Welcome, everybody, to your AFC East Week 4 Roundup. Chris, it's a great day to be a fan of the Buffalo Bills, isn't it? Yeah, first place, two-game lead. I love it. Duh. Our standings recap. If you're looking from the top down, which is what the Buffalo Bills are doing, the Buffalo Bills sitting at 3-1, and one. The Dolphins, the Patriots, and the Jets all tied at 1-3. and three. I mean, the Buffalo Bills fresh off a reenactment of Albany versus Troy. You know, one of the most lopsided victories of the 2021 NFL season. The Bills have now staked a two-and-a-half game lead in the AFC East. Miami, fresh off one of the season's most frustrating losses for a fan base that you'd think would be used to them by now. The Dolphins, by virtue of tiebreakers, sit in second. 
But that two and a half game lead probably feels like a whole hell of a lot more than that than that today. New England, the Patriots lost this weekend as well, and it's genuinely hard to try to decide as a bystander just how much it should hurt. And then we're talking about the New York Jets. I mean, they're the only other winners in the division this week. The Jets get to draw even with the rest of the division runners-up, getting their first win of the year in dramatic fashion, even if it did take some overtime heroics to pull it off. And here to talk about all of it is our... It's the one... It's the only, oh, play like a Jet Scott Mason. How are you today? I hope I'm the one and only because otherwise somebody's ripping me off and you would think if they're going to rip somebody off, they rip off somebody with more money and more stature. So uh, <laughs> glad to be with you guys as always. And yeah, this is a rare time uh, during the week where I- I'm actually smiling and laughing for reasons other than the Jets being an embarrassment and me just kind of coping with the pain. The Jets win 27-24 against the Titans in overtime. I mean, I'm just running down the stats. Seven sacks. Okay, seven sacks. That's impressive. I don't care who you are. Wilson has just one fewer yard passing than Tannehill. Derrick Henry puts on a show for 157 yards, but the Jets had 68 by comparison. We can dig into all this, but... The biggest question, how good did it feel as just a fan of your team to see your team get its first win in 2021? Well, it's funny, Drew, because last week, if you remember, I said it wasn't that the Jets lost to the Broncos because I expected that. It was how they lost. It was the way they lost. It was the lifeless way that the offense looked. And... You know, as I had said to you before the season, and you and I have had many discussions, and Chris and I have had many discussions off the air, all I really was looking for was for Zach Wilson to play well and for the offense to be entertaining. I wanted entertaining football. If they win five games, whatever, as as long as it was entertaining and as long as it was a situation where the quarterback was making strides on a weekly basis. That was all that really mattered to me. And we got that. And so I I didn't really, you know, the win is nice. Don't get me wrong. I was very happy to see the win. But what I was much more happy to see was the offense showing some life and even more importantly, Zach Wilson catching fire, especially in the second half. Uh, Dude, it, It's one of those things, like I'm looking at the statistics right now in front of me, and one of the things that stands out, when I look at what the Texans, Texans, the Titans, they came into this game, and they were missing both of their top targets, which obviously plays a role in this. We can't pretend that it doesn't. But I look at what they were able to orchestrate without those two players, and I see that the longest pass of the day was 27 yards. I mean, their leading receiver, Jeremy McNichols, got the majority of his yardage. I mean, 12, 12 targets and eight receptions, but more than a, a third of it was on one catch. Everything else... Their leading receiver was their backup running back, so that kind of tells you all you need to know. That. That's my point. So you guys as a defense did a great job. I mean, it's one, it's becoming a storyline here in 2021 that nobody's talking about except for us on this podcast that your secondary is quietly pretty good. They At least they've been yeah. playing well against the competition that's been rolled out in front of them. 
They've managed to corral in and stop teams from being able to air the ball out all over them. You know, when you do beat them, it's because their offense doesn't keep pace. Your defense has been doing a good job of making teams have to work their way down the field and not giving up much over the top, which is crazy when you figure Marcus May is on the IR. You've got a group of unknown defensive backs. Could you have ever projected that going into the season? Well, first of all, Marcus May has got much bigger problems at the moment than being on the IR, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no way I ever would have thought this. Especially, remember, LaMarcus Joyner got hurt in the first game, so now you, you had him out on top of everything, right? And then Ashton Davis, who we still had questions about, he was missing until this week where he didn't start, he played sporadically. So you've been seeing guys starting at safety, guys like Sheldrick Redwine and Adrian Colbert and, and Jared Wilson, and I couldn't have picked these guys out of a police lineup a couple of weeks ago. I had no idea that they were actually NFL players. So it really is amazing what they've been able to do. And then you look at the, the cornerbacks. Bryce Hall has been outstanding. Again, it's only been four games. But he's performing like a legitimate, if not number one corner, then something close to it. And then you've got Brandon Eccles, the rookie out of Kentucky, a six-round pick. He's been so-so, but still thrown into that starting role right off the bat. He's looked pretty solid. Michael Carter the second, a fifth-round pick out of Duke in the slot, has played really, really well. We thought this was going to be the worst unit on the team and one of the worst defensive backfields in the, in the entire league, and they've been a huge surprise. And then the other big one, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but I'll, I'll take you right through it now because I'm so amped about it. You talked about it before. The pass rush, listen, when Carl Lawson went out, there was no one in their right mind. I posted this on Twitter yesterday. The Jets are fourth in the NFL in sacks. Now, sacks aren't the end-all, be-all. There's other metrics. But still, the Jets are fourth in the league in sacks without Carl Lawson. You're talking about getting sacks from the interior, getting sacks from guys like Bryce Huff, who was an undrafted rookie free agent last year. This is just remarkable. Quincy Williams, Quinton Williams' little brother, who was cut by Urban Meyer and the Jazz decided that he was Cardi B with the whole twerking routine in that bar in, in Iowa. Oh, my God. <laughs> Cardi B! Williams ends up on the Jets, and then now he's playing ferociously. And, and don't forget, uh, even C.J. Mosley, who's not known as a pass rusher, gets in there for a sack. He played fantastic. So that front seven is doing real damage. The, the secondary was a huge surprise. The pass rush has been a huge surprise. Jeff Ulbrick, I know a lot of people will give Robert Sala the credit, and sure, I mean, he's obviously got his fingerprints on this, but Jeff Ulbrick does all the day-to-day stuff. He calls the plays. And for this team that had so many guys that most people wouldn't have even heard of before the season started to be this effective both in the defensive backfield and rushing the passer is nothing short of miraculous. No, what that is is it's coaching. And it's been an incredible surprise. No, what this is is that you guys have a coach. You guys have a coach who under... Chris, do you remember the defensive turnaround under Sean McDermott? Yeah. When we looked at... And this is something I've been waiting to talk to you about all week. When the Buffalo Bills hired Sean McDermott, it was on the heels of a Rex Ryan defense that was an embarrassment that took a lot of talented players and basically marginalized most of them. 
You know, you had this ferocious 4-3 defense that Rex Ryan came in and tried to recast into something it wasn't, couldn't coach, and it fell apart. And then you watched Greg, you watched McDermott come in with an unheralded cast, but some of the same pieces, and all of a sudden that 2017 Bills defense, just based on his coaching and his ability to work with the defensive backs, I mean, we had guys like Sharice Wright. Yeah, who? That's right. Everyone listening to this podcast just went, what? That guy exists? Yeah, that was a that was one of the mainstays in the Bills secondary. Our front seven was manned by guys like Eddie Yarbrough. The, the reality is, is that we found production in guys on defense that we couldn't before, mostly because our def- we had a defensive head coach who actually knew what the hell he was doing. The Jets are seeing <laughs> no, and the Jets are seeing this bear fruit for them because it, if anything, it it furthers this idea that Greg Williams and Adam Gase should be locked up for crimes against football <laughs> for what they did to your football team last year. One of the coolest storylines to come out of this game for me is the performance of the Quinn and uh, the Williams brothers. Quinn mm-hmm. and Quincy Williams, right? They combine to it's the first time two brothers have ever gotten a sack together in the same game in NFL history. They finished in tandem with three sacks, one pass defended, 16 solo tackles, three tackles for a loss and three hits on the quarterback. That is ridiculous. And to know that one of these guys is a relative unknown who probably, like like you said, he, he was twerking, whatever. He, he, well, no, he wasn't twerking. He was on a team with a guy who was just, he's got some questions. He's got some problems right now. His judgment's suspect. <laughs> but that, that dude with the suspect judgment didn't think he had space for Quincy Williams. Now Quincy Williams is out here making a difference for a legitimate NFL football team. I... I love to see this transformation. Even though it's not my team, I love what's happening to the Jets' defense. Because the Jets' defense went from being one that was a laughingstock to one that now, to your point, when you point at those metrics and you look at Bryce Hall and you look at the corners, people have to look at the Jets as more than just a soup can, right? You're no longer the the Brooklyn Brawler. Yeah, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're moving our way up the card. We're at lower mid Carter now. We went from jobber to lower mid Carter. It's it's funny because along the lines of the metrics that, that that we were just talking about, and this goes along with Quinn Williams. I had mentioned this on Twitter as well. There are only two teams in the NFL that have two interior defensive linemen that are in the top twenty in the NFL in sacks. One of them is Washington with Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat. The other is the Jets with Quinton Williams and John Franklin Myers. And John Franklin Myers is another interesting story. There's a guy that was a late-round pick for the Rams a couple of years ago, had a sack in the Super Bowl against Tom Brady. Everybody remembers that. And this is where when you're a team that's at the bottom but you have smart people in charge, every once in a while you can get really lucky because what happened was the Rams just had too many guys on that defensive line. They didn't have space for Franklin Myers, who was, everyone knew, a talented guy, but just they didn't have the room for him. So the Jets put in a waiver claim, got him, and then immediately he, he started to make an impact. And then this year, he and Quinn and Williams are just destroying people. It, it's been really a lot of fun to watch. Foley Fadakasi is one of the best run stuffers in the league. He makes things a lot easier for those guys. And then, of course, Sheldon Rankins. He's been excellent. 
he does, doesn't have as many of the flashy stats as, as Frank Myers and Quentin Williams, but he is opening things up, and everybody knows what a talent he is. The only question the last couple of years with him has been the injuries, but if you watch him on the field athletically, there's a reason he was drafted in the top 15 a couple of years ago, and it's because he's an athletic freak for his size. So, yo, the transformation of that Jet defense has been a lot of fun, but obviously i got to tell you, Drew, and you, you understand my plight here as a fellow podcaster. I was at the game because, like you, I have season tickets, and I was screaming my lungs out during the game, and I had to try my best not to do that because I knew I had podcasts to record, <laughs> and I didn't want to kill my voice. So I'm coming out of the stadium, and the first thing I'm saying is, all right, got to preserve my voice. As soon as we get to dinner, I'm going to drink a bunch of cups of tea and try and restore my voice. But i got to tell you, we haven't really touched on it yet, the offensive performance, particularly Zach Wilson, and, and I'll, I'll let you get into it here, but I'll just say I haven't seen the stadium that amped up and that excited for anything since the Sam Darnold game against the Cowboys the week after he, uh, the week he came back from mono and lit up the Cowboys, and everybody thought Darnold was going to be a star after that game. They said, oh, my God, he's back. Look at what he just did. And then, of course, I think it was a week or two later was the seeing ghost game, and it all came crashing down. But, uh, you know, we can get into to the specifics of it, but it really was unbelievable. No, so this is what I want to say about Zach Wilson. I'm watching, like, I'm, I'm watching the condensed version of that game, and here's what I see. I see broken plays, and I see Zach Wilson just saying, okay, I'm si-. It's you're watching a young kid learning the game of football. And so when he rolls out, and here's the thing that I haven't seen from any other rookie quarterback this season. I mean, you saw it a little bit from Justin Fields this week, but when you look at who was drafted where, Mac Jones has gotten all the praise. And rightfully so. I mean, mm-hmm. if you go by the raw numbers, completion percentage, he's better. He's doing, but, but as we're going to talk about later, they're kind of babying him. They're bringing him along mm-hmm. very slowly. The Jets are trying to throw a lot of things under the quarterback's plate, and some of it hasn't landed. But when you look at this stat line, 21-34, 297, two touchdowns, it doesn't do justice the fact that he connected on not one, but two 50-yard passes. To put that into mm-hmm. perspective for Bills fans, Chris, do you remember the Jacksonville game? Which one? The, the Jacksonville and Buffalo, the fist fight game. Yeah. Where Josh Allen comes into a game. Now everyone goes, this guy sucks. He, he got shut out by Green Bay. He's not good. He's not accurate. He's not this. He's not that. He doesn't have this. He can't read a defense. He comes out in that game and with pressure in his face. He's you know, just, I don't know what to, I'm just going to huck it. But I think I have an idea of what I'm doing here. He puts one up that sets everyone on fire. A 75-yard touchdown strike. And then later in the game, follows it up with another 32-yard pass under duress as he's scrambling around. Those are Josh Allen plays. Those are plays of a kid who's finally like, look, I'm sick of this shit. I'm going to come out here and just, I I understand what the structure of the offense is. Nah, now we're just going to go do it. The protection breaks down. Don't care. I'm out. We're just going to make it happen. But that's what you need because here's the thing. You can fix the offensive line, which, by the way, I'm looking at the pass blocking grades. Yeah, you had some questionable performances. Connor McGovern didn't do well. But your team had the best pass blocking day it's had all year. 
Not for nothing. Not for nothing. They had the best day they've had all year. Mm-hmm. And he finally, like, the, the switch just flipped inside of his head and said, listen, I'm tired of this. Just take shots now. Why? Take well-timed shots because fuck it. I'm here and I'm under duress and things are going to happen and I'm down and my, everyone thinks we're losers. Fuck them. I love that mentality. And I, that's what you got out of Josh Allen early in his career. Now, the question is, can the Jets harness that but then mold it and help him find the things that Josh found that led to him becoming a more complete quarterback? But I'll tell you this, just from what I saw from him on Sunday, right or wrong, I, I want to hear from you. Am I being too high on him, one? Am I being too high? Am I giving him too much credit for having this bounce-back performance? And also, is with, with what's on the Jets' schedule and what he has around him, is it crazy to think that he might not have a few more of these types of games in him? Uh, you're definitely not being too high on him. I'll tell you, man. I, you know, Brett Favre was here for a year, and before he hurt his shoulder and didn't tell anybody, and the Jets kind of went in the tank toward the end of the season there, they were the favorites to go to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. If you remember, they were on a huge roll. They were 8-3. and three. They beat what had been an undefeated Tennessee Titans team, and everybody thought that there was, they were on a collision course with whoever was coming out of the NFC that year, and then Favre regressed because his shoulder got hurt, and it ended in disaster. Now, I'm not trying to say that the Jets are a contender, and I'm certainly not trying to say that Zach Wilson is Brett Favre. What I will say is there were games, and, and one in specific uh, sticks out at me. It was one of the most dominant performances I've ever seen out of a Jets quarterback. In fact, it's possible it's the most dominant performance I've ever seen out of a Jets quarterback. Certainly, if it's not that, then it would have been the Ken O'Brien game against the Miami Dolphins in 1986 when he threw for over 400 yards and, like, six touchdowns. But Brett Favre against the Arizona Cardinals team that ended up going to the Super Bowl that year, he, they just absolutely decimated them. I, I want to say Favre threw for six touchdowns. He was just in a zone, and he couldn't miss. And that was from start to finish. Now, that didn't happen with Wilson in this game. The first few drives were ugly. It was three and outs, and then he threw an interception, which... Corey Davis fell down. It still was a shaky play by Wilson. But you start to think to yourself, oh, no, here we go again. And then in the, uh, they had that really nice drive to get a touchdown at the, toward the end of the second quarter. Yeah, for Bills fans, I, I, I hate to cut you off here, but for Bills fans who don't know what happened, the Titans were winning. I mean, Randy Bullock was getting work in for the Titans. It was 9 nothing, And then the Jets yeah. put on this drive, and it's 7-9. And then the game changed from right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, too, it wasn't even it wasn't even at that spot. It was the the play that I think really swung things. It led to a field goal, but it was just the momentum swing. So there were some nice passes in in that scoring drive, a couple to Corey Davis, but the first fifty plus yard throw occurred on the drive where the Jets took the lead, and 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 it was ten to nine. He, he, he was on the run, and he threw this pass, and it was just a beautiful pass to Keelan Cole, who dove for it, and the crowd went nuts. And then, obviously, the one that, that now has made all the highlight reels is that, that throw to Corey Davis. And the beautiful part about that was not only did Zach Wilson 
barely looked like he was even trying. It wasn't like a, a heave. He just kind of flicked his wrist and it went 50 plus yards. Not only did he do it on the run, and not only did he put the ball right in between two defenders, perfectly placed into Corey Davis's hands, but what he did was he recognized that the safety was starting to cheat up. And as soon as he saw that, he, he looked downfield at Davis and he waved him as if to say, keep going, I got you. And he sure did. He put a bullet right in his hands for the touchdown. And everybody was going, I mean, honestly, guys, I haven't seen that stadium go that crazy. Like I said, it, it's been a while. I mean, granted, last year nobody was there because of the restrictions, but it was incredible. And then in the overtime period, another, another big – oh, then, of course, the can play with Jamison Crowder where there was a fumble of the snap and you're sitting there going, oh, no, they're going to turn it over. Instead, he calmly picks it up, rolls out to his left, and throws a dart to Jamison Crowder, who's running a, a crosser down by the five-yard line. And by the way, I should say, Jamison Crowder coming back was a very uh, – it hasn't been talked about enough. Crowder added so much to that attack because, A, he caught the most passes, but, B, he's always been that over-reliable guy. He just finds ways to get open and make plays. He always has. And I'm going to be sad when, when he inevitably is gone at the end of the year. But in the overtime period – there's another big play where Zach Wilson on a third down where it would, could have led to a punt where the Titans could have gotten the ball, marched for a field goal theoretically, and, and gotten the win. He found Cole on a, a deep pass. He threw a bullet down the, uh, the, the left side for a first down and kept the drive alive. And they ended up only they ended up settling for a field goal. And, you know, the game ended on Randy Bullock missing a 49-yard field goal. But it's just like I said, it was about the fact that Zach, I, I tweeted this as I le was leaving the stadium, and I think it resonated because it got something like 600-plus likes and like 50-something retweets. I just wrote, this was the Zach Wilson that the Jets drafted at number two. And you could see it, man. When you watch this tape, this is what you saw. You saw a guy that could make plays. Like, it's like the Josh Allen thing, right? You could see a guy that could make plays like this that so few quarterbacks could make. Now, like Allen, and I, w I would say he's further, I think he's further along than Allen was. At the so time many people Allen were. Really You're not being insulting by saying that. <laughs> right. And, and, and look, obviously, Allen, we know what he's turned into, so there's no insults. But obviously, Allen was more of a ball of clay. Wilson, you know, Allen really needed to learn this. Wilson needs to refine the simple stuff. But once he does... He's going to be nasty. I mean, look at what Allen has turned into now that he's sort of really kind of – I mean, he's still a little rough with some of the simpler stuff, but he's good enough at it that he can do what he needs to do. When, when Zach Wilson masters the simple stuff, because right now he's like okay at it, he'll miss some throws here and there. And when we say simple, it's hilarious because it, it's simple, I guess, in the, in the grand scheme of like NFL quarterbacks, but – for like any normal person, it's not a simple thing. Wait, you but mean Chris and I can't do that? Down, Wait, you mean Chris and I can't 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 do that? Well, maybe Chris could, but you and I probably couldn't. Dude, what? Chris is not an athlete. I don't care what anyone says. I'm way more of an athlete than you are. <laughs> You're not even in my league. <laughs> but in all seriousness, once Wilson figure like masters that, he's gonna he's gonna be almost unstoppable. Because like I said. I, I, look, I hope it's not like Favre where it's like too many turnovers, but what you saw on Sunday 
was a guy that, like, man, he was just feeling it. And he was making throws, like I said, there's maybe a handful of quarterbacks in the league. One of them is the quarterback of the Bills that could make throws like that. And so, you know, it really was – I think Andy Vasquez from NorthJersey.com, who does the post-game shows with me, had a great line. He said, you saw more great, great plays from Zach Wilson in one game than you got in a year of Sam Darnold. And I think that's a fair statement to make. I mean, look, we saw – sometimes when Darrell would make these really nice throws, but there just weren't enough of those. Wilson had play after play after play on Sunday, especially once he got cooking in that late third quarter where, boom, man, you could just see that he has something special in him. And look, Mac Jones, you, you mentioned it. I think he, he's going to be a lot better than a lot of people give him credit for. I, I had said Chad Pennington pre-shoulder surgery. I know a lot of people have compared him to Kirk Cousins, i got to be honest with you, Kirk Cousins is a very good quarterback, and if you get a guy like Kirk Cousins with a 15th pick in the draft, that's a pretty damn good pick. So I think he's going to be pretty good. We'll see with Fields. Obviously, Lance came in last week because of the injury. He's going to start to play. Lawrence played well on Thursday night. That was his best game. But Wilson can just make these special plays that so many quarterbacks in the NFL are incapable of. So if he can make those uh, you know, fairly regularly and he can clean up the simple stuff, this could, you know, look, there's a lot of football left in this season and he's only 21 years old. So knock on wood, hopefully there's a lot of football left in him, period. But you can see the potential. This is why guys like Daniel Jeremiah and scouts and coaches and draft nicks all over the place were telling you how special his talent is. It's because of stuff like this. And like you said, Drew, you watched it and you tell me, am I crazy or are there just not that many quarterbacks that can make plays like that? There, there aren't that many, sir. And I can't wait to see it. We're going to get more this weekend because you guys, for some reason, next week against the spread, you're a three and a half point dog to the Falcons who just literally got their front door kicked in by the Washington Redskins in London, in, in London. I, I, this is what I don't understand. How are you guys not favored in this game? I just do you do you agree or disagree with the Jets being a three and a half point underdog? It's weird because Atlanta's listed as the home team, but obviously I don't even really know what that means when you're talking about it being in England. I, I, it is kind of strange to me that Atlanta would be a three and a half point favorite only because. Let's get real about this. Their only one of the season was edging out a terrible Giants team. So you would think that this game would be closer to a pick 'em than three and a half points. But listen, I, no one really cares about the point spread at this point. The interesting thing to me is if the Jets win this game, they are two and three heading into the bye, and the schedule gets a little bit easier because we knew they were going to have a tough stretch. Now, listen, the one thing that's going to be a pain is they've obviously got you guys on the schedule twice now. Although, if I'm not mistaken, I think the second matchup with the Bills is very late in the season. So by the looks of it, the Bills could be could have uh, uh, their starters rested by that point because they're, they're going to probably pull so far ahead of everybody else in the division. But... Look, there's the Jets could could go on a little bit of a um, you know a nice run here. Whether that means wins or whether it just means 
the team looking a lot better for a sustained period of time, which I think is really all that we want as Jets fans. Look, wins are nice, but it's a process, and what we really want is to come out of this season feeling good. So if we get more games like we saw on Sunday, we'll see. But the Falcons are, are the first step towards that. And as you said, I think these teams are relatively even. I, I think three and a half is a little weird, especially since it's on a neutral field. But it'll be an interesting test both for the Jets' defense, whether or not they can get that pressure on a guy like Matt Ryan, who's far less mobile than Ryan Tannehill, and whether or not the offense can continue to cook against the Atlanta defense that, let's be real, has been kind of suspect. Where can people find you on Twitter, sir? I'm at PlayLikeAJet1 on Twitter. You can also check out our YouTube channel. Luke Grant broke this and great job there. I should also say, I think I sent this to you guys, but I, I think it's great. Luke's uh, wife is a, an incredibly talented artist, and she designs all our shirts. We've got a brand new one up at, at the Play Like a Jet store. It's the Zach Says Go Long shirt. It's a drawing of Zach Wilson motioning Corey Davis to go long from that famous play from Sunday. So if you, if you want one of those, that's available to play like a jet store at tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. Plus the daily podcast, it's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all of that, seven days a week. God help me. Uh, but you know what? Uh, a week like this, I feel good about doing these seven days. It's been a while since I've actually been really excited to do these shows, and, and this is a fun week. Tim Jenkins who is the quarterback coach out of Colorado, uh, who comes on the show once a week to break down Zach Wilson. We had a blast this week because obviously there was a lot of positive to get into. So check out the show. And look, if, if you're a Jets fan and you're listening to this for some reason, uh, uh, maybe you listen because you want to hear what's going on with the Bills, then check out the shirt. Maybe you're a Bills fan who has a Jets fan in your family, and this could be like a gift idea or something. I don't know. But that's available now, too. And, boys, as always, a pleasure. And, uh, Drew, I know that you will be watching the latest episode of Dark Side of the Ring on Thursday on Vice because you can't get enough wrestling in your life. So looking forward to talking to you about that next week and, of course, talking some Jets and Bills. Are you finally ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. The excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on the action with your favorite teams and players from the NFL, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Right now at WinBet, you can find great promos, odds, and payouts from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport. WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That brings us to the New England Patriots who lost one of the weekend's most anticipated games 17-16 to the Buccaneers in what was being called by NBC as The Return. Tom Brady back in Foxborough. I could think of no better guest to have talk us through this than Christian Simonelli. How are you, sir? Well, much better now that that game was over, that's for sure. How are you guys? Well, here, I'm great, but I got to tell you, I don't know why you feel that way. I mean, look, look at this. Your team, going into this, how much did you think you were going to lose by? Oh, uh, minimum 30 points. Okay, so when you saw the way it all ended, I mean, first, in fact, let's not even start there. Let's start here. Emotions before the game. Did you have any animosity towards Tom Brady in the run-up to this game? You know, I kind of did because locally it was covered like a Super Bowl. Actually, even more so. Like, when you go to a Super Bowl, you know, the Super Bowl gets covered for two weeks and by, like, the Wednesday of the, you know, before the game, you're like, okay, let's just play the game. Because, like, everything's been talked about. Covered for, like, three weeks before it was actually played. So, you know, around here, like, nobody really even paid attention to the Jets game, and then nobody, you know, uh, paid attention to the following game. Um, so it was like, all right, let's just get to this game, and that's it. And so I was kind of like, all right, you know, let's knock this, let's knock this guy around a little bit here. You know, let's 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 have a representative sample. Let's show that we, you know, that we still got the Belichick a defensive game plan, and you know, let's let's put a couple of cracks on him. Um, but deep down inside, I just thought that they were going to get smoked by thirty points because I just felt Tampa was the far better team through four weeks. Nothing the Patriots did, uh, you know, inspired any confidence in me that they were going to. Uh, play a competitive game against them, and, and then, I turned out to be wrong. Well, and then as the game is playing out, now I'll tell you for my for my purposes, I came home from the stadium. I really tried to stay awake from this for this game, but it was just such a long day. I was watching the first quarter and I fell asleep. And I woke up. My wife said it was one of the craziest. It scared her a little bit. It was one of the craziest things she's seen because I was dead ass asleep. And my eyes opened just in time to watch Mac Jones get drilled for a sack. And I sat upright like The Undertaker and just started clapping, and it scared her because she's like, what, you were just passed out. How do you already know what's going on in this football game? I was like, honey, it's like a spider sense. My spidey sense was tingling that something bad was about to happen to the Patriots, and it woke me out of a dead sleep. Like, but, but, but in reality, like, I'm watching that game go back and forth, and I'm like, if you're a Patriots fan, I feel like you have to be enjoying this. Was that the case as you were watching this game unfold? It was because I, I fully expected Brady just to come out and go scorched earth and for them to be up like 14 or nothing after the first quarter. You know, I just expected them to go up and down the field because, again, like the defense didn't really inspire anything that would say, okay, they can stop them. Um, 
even with Gronk out and even with Giovanni Bernardo, like I just thought there's just too many weapons. But, you know, hey, uh, credit to Bill for the, you know, one millionth time. It seems like he spun the dial and he did enough defensively at least to keep him in the game. Now, that being said, Brady was off. Like, Brady Brady threw a lot of high balls. Like, Brady threw a lot of very uncharacteristic throws, whether it was the nerves, whether it was the rain, a combination of the two. Uh, you know, he wasn't as sharp as, as, as he usually is, and, and that's why the narrative coming out of the game was that Mac played better than Tom. Um, you know, statistically, that's true. Uh, but, you know, there were some very uncharacteristic throws that, that Brady made in. Maybe it was a combination, too, of Bill just making him uncomfortable um, and the defense making him uncomfortable with certain things. Well, uh, he did after the game to I mean, somebody. I think Peter King wrote about it that, uh, man, it's tough to come in here and win a game. <laughs> some of that so. is familiarity. It has to be, right? There's some of it that says, look, I know right. my quarterback for 20 years. I know the things he likes to do and the things he doesn't like to do, and I'm going to try to make him right. do a lot of those things the way nobody else can because they also don't have his defensive acumen. But to your point, after the game, people are going, all right, well, I just got to see an apple, apples to apples comparison. And all of a sudden, if you're putting them side by side, at least in this one, in a vacuum, in this one contest, Mac Jones didn't look that bad by comparison to Tom Brady. They had drives, legitimate drives, where I'm watching in the second half as I'm awake now and I'm up from my nap. My, I, I, I don't want to call it a booze nap, but it's basically just this is what happens when you get up at 4 a.m. and also you drink heavily during an afternoon. I'm an old man now. I'm washed up. So I wake up and I'm watching the second half. And I'm watching a Patriots offense that's just clicking and clicking and moving the football methodically down the football field in the way I used to watch the Tom Brady Patriots do. And I feel like watching that, like I could only imagine what I'd feel like as a fan of that team who I know I lost a Hall of Famer, but I just watched an offense go out and orchestrate the thing that he used to do. Granted, Mac Jones will probably never be Tom Brady. But what were your emotions after the game? Once all the dust had settled and you're stuck looking at going, listen, we lost, but it was right there. It was right there. My biggest fear going into the game was that the Patriots were going to take the lead and then Brady was going to get the ball back with like a minute left and drive down the field and just have one of his pat in the drive and kick a field goal to win it and just rip our hearts right out of our chest. Um, and that almost happened because I think if Phil goes for it on, you know, fourth and three instead of attempting the 56 yard field goal, um, you know, and then they get it and then they kick a field goal, maybe it would have left Brady with still a little bit of time, but, you know, he didn't. They missed it and Tampa took an E and they walked out of there with the win. I felt, I did feel pretty good about the progress that was made, but I don't want to get too excited. On offense, like you said, it was very, there was a rhythm to it that hadn't been there in previous games. Mind you, they did all of that while rushing a grand total of eight times for minus one yard. So Tampa knew they were going to throw, and they threw, and they were still able to complete passes. Now, you do have to look at that and say, okay, you had Richard Sherman <laughs> starting a cornerback who literally got to the team like I think it was the Wednesday or the Tuesday before the game. So obviously a very depleted uh, secondary, but still, I mean – Mac took some pretty big lumps and did all that without a running game. So coming out of the game, 
I did feel a little bit better. However, if Mac keeps getting hit like this, he will not make it through the year. Um, they have got to shore up pass protection because he's getting creamed. Every game he's getting creamed once or twice where you're like, oh man, is he going to get up? Um, so that's where I sort of came out of it. Like, felt pretty good, but you know, definitely got to show up the pass protection first and foremost. So one of the last things I'll talk about before we go to these, the X's and O's, this, the Yahoo article today about how Bilicek and Brady had this, this, you know, kind of closed door catch up session after the game that went well beyond midnight, just a half hour of the two of them behind locked doors. Brady wouldn't say a word. When they asked him, they, he said, in fact, I think I have the quote right here in front of me. Let me pull this up here. So he was asked, after a half hour of being in the room, there was reporters, because they're, you know, they're, they're like ambulance chasers at this point. They're just outside going, hey, <laughs> what did you guys talk about? And Brady just goes, "That's it's all personal. We've got a personal relationship, you know, for for 20 plus years. He drafted me here. We've had a lot of personal conversations that should remain that way and are very private. And he essentially just said, look, we there was obviously some acrimony in New England. And when he left, obviously, there was a divide somewhere in what the franchise thought of Tom Brady, what they thought the long term upshot for Tom Brady was and what his ability to lead that football team could be. And they decided to part ways. And for one party, it ended in a Super Bowl, and for one party, it ended up in an embarrassing Monday Night Football loss to the Buffalo Bills. I think you guys lost by 20 in that one. It's the biggest Bills win in Gillette history. It's our first win in Gillette, or our first regular season win with both starting quarterbacks, but even more so, it was the biggest win we'd ever had there. And so I think that this was almost like, like, does that do anything as like a salve for the fan base? Like, hey, listen, these two greats came together and kind of reconciled their differences, which obviously (laughs) it was like there's a fork in the road. You could go either way. One of them ended up in greatness and one of them ended up falling on their face and they found a way to come together in the middle. I mean, how humbling of a moment do you think that is for Bilicek? And does that do anything for the fan base to kind of just put put all of it to rest? Um, I kind of did find a little solace in the fact that they did meet after because there's a book coming out by Seth Wickersham on October 12th, I think it is, where they talk about, where the book is primarily about the dynasty and about really about like the latter part of the fallout of the last, I'd say from like 2017 on. Um, it really, it goes into great detail. So, I'm a sucker for that stuff. I do. Like, I, whenever I heard that, because I stayed up till 1 o'clock that night, I, like, I couldn't fall asleep. I was like, oh, wow, I went in the locker room. Like, I, you know, I think I tweeted to be a fly on that wall, you know. Um, I would love to have heard that conversation. Look, I think they came to a point where Bill just said, how many more years can I keep going with this guy? Like, this is uncharted territory. There is nobody I can compare this guy to. How do I commit to him? other than on a year-to-year without him falling flat on his face at some point. Like, how much longer can you keep doing this? And I think that, that Brady said, man, I've played for you all these years. You know what I can do. How can you not believe in me? I want out of here. And I really think that's what it, what it ended up being in the end, where they were just like, A, I can't commit to you, and B, well, if you're not going to commit to me, then I want to go somewhere where somebody is. And 
I did it. Like I, I, I still, I would love to have been a fly in that wall. Um, cause I read a narrative where I think it was again, another P, the Peter King article where, um, I think it was like Mike Evans and, uh, Antonio Brown and they all like their jaw dropped when the door opened. The Belichick just walked through the locker room and went straight towards Tom. And they were like, why wow, are you seeing this? Is that really him? And so, yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. Um, you know, he's still gone. <laughs> He still won a Super Bowl. That still stings. I know he wouldn't have won a Super Bowl here because the roster was so bad, but, you know, you're telling me that they wouldn't have just guaranteed his contract, paid him the money, and then gone out and still put these pieces around him? Would have loved to have seen what he could have done with the current cast of characters. Yeah. You know, we always want more. I, I wanted more to, to stay here, but um, I guess I can take a small bit of solace in that fact that they're you know, that they're on, quote, speaking terms and that the relationship is good. So in turn, back to the X's and O's now. Because you made a point here. The, the offense, Mac Jones has taken a, a ton of contact, and one of the things that scares me about that is that you're not... They orchestrated some great drives, but they're being super protective of Mac Jones, who's the owner of any the best metrics of any rookie this year. And they're stagnant in doing so. 27th in points per game. He has just one game with more than five passes of 15 or more air yards. They're the only offense in the entire NFL without a 40-yard pass this season. And they're 23rd in rushing first downs. Like, your offense as a whole is not providing you a ton of spark. And a lot of it is coming because you're trying to protect that quarterback. And even then, you're not saving him. Like in games against great defensive lines, he's getting beat up. Against Tampa Bay, he got a lot of contact because Tampa Bay's defensive line is ferocious. I mean, Vita VA was eating blockers for lunch. There was a play where he one-handed somebody, I think it was your uh, your left guard, directly into the pocket. Mac Jones tries to run away and Shaq Barrett's right there. And just starts him with a hit. My wife, who knows absolutely nothing about football, God love her, was sitting there on the couch with me watching the game, and I had my head down for a second, and I, I, I missed that. And but all I heard my wife say was, God, did you just see what he did to that guy? <laughs> and it literally might have made a bench press. I think it was a Wenu, um, into the backfield. And, yeah, Barrett shot. Actually, it was number nine. I think it was that rookie, Joe Tyron. Yes, Tyron. Uh, like a, yeah. Yeah, it was number, and he just just went through like a missile and buried Mac. And I'm like, you see? I go, you see? I go, that's that's what's gonna happen. I go, that's what's gonna happen. Uh, you know, he's gonna get killed on a play like that. Um, but yeah, I didn't really interrupt you. I just thought that was funny that you brought it up. No. How long do you think that this is sustainable before they decide to say, look, if you if we if we're playing conservative and we're still getting our rookie quarterback killed? How long before Josh McDaniels takes the reins off Mac to see what he can accomplish with a more aggressive play style? Well, if it's not going to be this week, then it's going to be never. Um, they're arguably playing the worst team in the league, so I'm hopeful that it will be this week. Despite the fact that as I was coming on with you guys, I just saw that um, Isaiah Wynn and um, uh, who was the other guy? Uh, one of the other offensive linemen who I, uh, I just fails to uh, – come to mind just got put on the COVID-19 list so you got basically two-thirds of your offensive line down for this week and Trent Brown was also out last week so that's three ideas stop 
top five guys you're probably not going to have available for the Texan game. So hopefully you have Trent Brown back. Um, look, Matt gets the ball out quick. I definitely want to see him take more shots to the end zone. He hasn't done that. The play, there was a play on Sunday night where he threw a near pick to uh, Tredavious White. He was going to his right knee, threw the ball across his body, almost like trying to do a Mahomes, and it drilled Tredavious White right in the hands, and Tredavious White just dropped it. Um, Hunter Henry was wide open in the end zone. There was nobody near him. So um, I, I think the uh, more likely that he's going to make those type of quick decisions and, and have errors. So I want them to be protected, and I would love for them to take more shots down the field. Again, this game, you know, you rush eight times for minus one yard. You know, um, if you have a little bit more balance, this team, this offense lives off play action. They had absolutely no play action on Sunday night. So I think if they can run the ball and really get the, the play action game going, it will be much more successful. And Josh will be much more willing to him to take shots downfield, will be my guess and my hope. Well, I mean, you're nine and a half point favorites against the Texans. You guys better be able to throw the ball downfield. I mean, I'm never going to ask if you agree or disagree because I think after taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to a 17, uh, holding them to 17, there's no hope that the Texans are going to score more than that, right? I wouldn't think so. Um, like you just said, you know, Davis Mills is their starting quarterback. Um, I, I, look, if they give up more than 10 points to them, I, I, I'd be disappointed. Um they should come in here and, and they should roll. You know, we, we always, around here, it was a formality the regular season. It would be 12 and 4, 13 and 3, and, and just, you know, the, 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 uh, the talk was, okay, where's the uh, championship game going to be played, either at home or on the road? Um, you know, there's no more givens anymore. You know, the givens are probably the Jets and Texans. Everybody else on the schedule, you know, you can't pencil in any more, you know, automatic Ws. You just can't. The team's not anywhere near at that point right now. Well, it's going to be interesting to see the trajectory of the franchise, but I just figured in the shadow of something so big, instead of talking to one of our normal, you know, some of the journalists we bring on, Mike Debate, who's fantastic, I wanted to talk to just a fan and just to get your perspective on what took place Sunday night. And I'm glad that you guys were finally able to put this chapter in Patriots history, like you can finally close the book on it. And it's kind of cool to see the trajectory of that entire story. And I'm happy that even if, even if it didn't go the way that you would have wanted, the closure you get out of that is you guys just barely losing. You were right there on the doorstep of victory against this. And that has to be a silver lining of its own. Where can people find you on Twitter? Because t- I'll tell you, guys, I'm a petty son of a bitch, and I hate almost all things Patriots, yet I love Christian. Well, thank you for that. appreciate it. Uh, love you guys, too. You can re- find me on Twitter, at Chris, with a T-I-A-N, and uh, give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back. I, like I said, I'll, I'll, every time I'm on here, I love going back and forth with other fan bases. And, um, you know, it's always good to see what everybody else is feeling about you or about this want to say in closing, congratulations to the Buffalo Bills. You guys, uh, you know, off to a wonderful start. I don't know if you saw it today, but Colin Coward put you number one at the top of the power ranking. So I don't know what that's worth, but just, you know, I know how much you guys love Colin, so I just figured I'd mention that. And so that brings us to the Miami Dolphins, who lost 24-17 to to the Colts. And before I bring in tonight's guest, I want to open with a look for Bills fans inside the mind of a Dolphins fan as we all kind of woke up... (laughs) 
as we all kind of woke up this morning, in his good, bad, and ugly column, a writer for TheFinsider.com's Merrick Brave opened his piece where, you know, Chris, you've seen a million of these types of articles, right? It's kind of just a quick shot. Hey, or I've heard a million of it with your good, bad, and ugly on this podcast. Yeah. So I look at his and I see it and I go, okay, let's see what this guy thinks. And he opened it with a diatribe that I think I, 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 I Chris, you know, we're petty. Yeah. So I kind of, I need to read this. He starts, it wasn't supposed to be like this. This season wasn't supposed to feel like every other disappointing Miami Dolphins season. This young offensive line wasn't supposed to progress. They were, they were expected to take significant leap forward as many valuable resources were dumped into this very important unit. The defense wasn't supposed to be a liability, yet they've given up 35, 31, and 27 points in three consecutive games. Our passing offense wasn't supposed to be so uninspiring, especially when you consider the additions to the wide receiver group and Will Fuller and Jalen Waddell. They weren't supposed to be nagging whispers about sending three first-round picks plus multiple second and third-round picks for another team's quarterback. Yet with Tua Tagovailoa on injured reserve, the never-ending Deshaun Watson rumors persist. I hate this team. You probably do too. No, I don't hate the Miami Dolphins in general. I don't hate the aqua wearing, oh, the aqua dolphin wearing a white helmet with an orange gem on the side. We'll always love our Miami Dolphins as they're a part of our identities as fans of football. But this Miami team sucks. And it hurts more because they weren't supposed to suck. I hate this particular Miami Dolphins team. It just wasn't supposed to be like this. <laughs> and with that, I bring in Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry. Sir, hearing that, what are your immediate thoughts? Well, he's experiencing uh, the first time in three years where a Brian Flores team is actually underachieving because uh, Brian Flores has lost two games in three years, two games in 36 games where he's been favored. It was last year in Denver. They were four-and-a-half-point favorites. They lost by a touchdown. And against the Colts this past week, they were one-and-a-half-point favorites, and they lost by a touchdown or 10 points. So you're kind of seeing for the very first time a team that underachieves under Brian Flores, and the fan base is none too happy. And they get to see all of the mistakes on display every single week and all the problems that the team has every single week. But as much talk that has there's been about the offensive line, like Jason Lockenford just went, you know, he just gave the like the the cliff notes of all the problems the Dolphins have. They didn't lose the last two games because of the offensive line. The offensive line was fine for the last two games. They lost the last two games because their quarterback sucks. That's it's as simple as that. And then they make one mistake and one mistake mistake turns into two and two turns into three. Today they traded uh Jakeem Grant. I guess he was part one of the accountability tour because he dropped a punt that essentially cost them the game. They come within a touchdown. Uh, they force a three and out. The Colts punt, and he muffs a punt inside the 20-yard line, which leads to another field goal. And then, of course, Brissett, uh, when we get the ball back, Brissett fumbles at his own 20-yard line after holding it for about seven seconds. Brandon Scarlett on a, thir- on a three and out gets offsides on a punt that would have given the Dolphins the ball back. Oh, you know, down by a touchdown with like five minutes left. Then, of course, there's a phantom a face mask penalty on Jalen Phillips, who's really coming on, by the way. 
He's having mm-hmm. he's he's played a really good last two games. Uh, Jalen Phillips gets called on third down. That would have forced a 50-yard field goal by, by the Colts. Instead, they call it a face mask penalty, which, you know, it didn't happen. It was it was a bad call. And that, you know, ends the game because two plays later, they're in the end zone, and that gave them the, the final margin of victory. So instead of having the ball last, trying to score a touchdown to win, it's hopeless because now you're down two scores. So, yeah, it's... For the very first time, you're seeing a team under Brian Flores that is underachieving and doing stupid things. And so now it's, it seems the stupid like things just compound inside of the same game. Well, and that's it. Is I, it seems like, I mean, Chris, we've been there with our Bills teams. For years. <laughs> we've been there. And so it's interesting. But what's interesting to me is the, the Dolphins, I've never heard this kind of rhetoric before. First, let's... Staying with the fan mentality first, do you think that that stems from hope? Like, do you think that this is what happens when there's expectations and then those expectations aren't met? No, Dolphin fans cream over the misery. They love this shit. Like, I think they would, they'd rather have this than win a Super Bowl. I, I truly believe that. And that's because I'm old enough. I'm 47 years old, right? I'm old enough to have remembered better times, Okay. And I remember back then, you know, there was no social media. So back then it was just all, you know, sports radio all the time. And I remember walking away dejected, probably the same time that you guys were celebrating. A 29 to 10 win by the Bills at Hard Rock Stadium. At that, at that time it was called Jarabi Stadium in the AFC Championship game. And after the game... I remember tuning into at the time it was 610 WIOD down here and every single caller. This is a Dolphin team that had gone 12 and 4, had home field advantage throughout the playoffs and had just lost in the AFC Championship game. And all every single caller wanted to fire Shula and <laughs> trade Dan Marino. Every single one of them. Okay? Instead of saying, "You know what? Maybe our defense has to get better to defend Buffalo or Maybe, you know, maybe build a running game. No, no. They want to fire Shula, and they wanted to get rid of Dan Marino for a pile of picks. That's the way this fan base has always been, and it will always be that way. Chris, I'm not going to lie After they win a Super Bowl, I'm certain there will be people complaining. I'm listening to him say this, and I'm thinking to myself, if I can ever just get it in my hands on a DeLorean. Now, I'm not going back in time. Everyone's like, I would go back in time, and I'd uh, I'd shoot Hitler. I would go back in time, and I would do... I would go back in time and I would put myself squarely in the Florida radio markets he's talking about and just just hang out. <laughs> just park somewhere and hang out. <laughs> just, just listening to AM Sports Radio for days. So let's talk a little bit about this game because you kind of laid it all bare for us. But I think one of the most damning things, and I'd be frustrated too if I was seeing it, these missed opportunities. I mean, you sent me one of them and it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. You, have J- you have Waddle... First of all, multiple open shots not taken. On that play, he had a deep cross, and he also had another route that was open. And Brissett checked it down. Is You mentioned that the problem is that you have a crap quarterback, and that's why these games are ending the way that they are. Do you genuinely believe that Tua would hit those shots? And even if not, how damning is it to you that you're... 
because everyone right now is decrying this dual offensive coordinator system, but there's evidence to believe that the routes that they're running when they are throwing the football can work. They just need execution. Yeah, uh, I, I truly do believe, and most of the fan base believes, by the way, that had Tua started the last two games, maybe they're three and one, but absolutely they're two and two. Okay, uh, Brissett is just missing wide open people on many many plays. On the play that I showed you, it's a walk and touchdown for Jalen Waddle. The week before, they forgot to cover the Raiders. Did forgot to cover Mike Gesicki on a seat and left them wide open. This week, that happened, and later on in the game, uh, Devontae Parker, they also forgot to cover Devontae Parker on a go route, and Devontae Parker actually started jumping up and down, asking for the ball. Brissett actually throws it to him late and throws it out of bounds, and it was just the story of the game. The quarterback play is bad, and then it's infecting every other part of the team. And, you know, by the time that Tua comes back, you could say, okay, one part is fixed, but maybe they've done so much damage elsewhere that, they can't fix anything. I mean, and let's talk about this, though, because if, if there is anything, because Dan Orlovsky was pretty pointed. I mean, I'm looking at the tweet right now that I cribbed. Someone has to tell me what the Miami Dolphins' plan slash identity is on offense. Who's calling the plays? There is absolutely no rhyme or reason to the things they do. It looks like they're guessing it plays out of a hat and just calling anything to see if it may work. <laughs> That would be a good idea, to be honest. Right? And that's what I'm seeing when I go back and I watch the 30-minute recaps of these Dolphins games is that your team, it almost, it has the feel of an offense that has two different people running different facets of it. It's disjointed. I'm seeing portions of the game where it bogs down, it gets very run-oriented, it tries to be hey, we're going to play small ball and we're going to do things and we're going to try to run clock. But then it seems like the best play design and the most explosive play seem to come when you're losing. When it says, okay, let's go to the guy who's calling the passing plays. Is there an argument to be made that maybe one of these guys needs to needs to leave the booth? Well, that's the thing. Nobody knows who's, in, who's actually making the play calls because now you, we've had We've had three different people say that Charlie Fry is actually making all the play calls, right? And then uh, Brian Flores didn't want to confirm or deny that Charlie Fry was making the play calls. Then there's also a rumor that Brian Flores actually took over the play calling in the fourth quarter for one drive. That actually led to a touchdown, by the way, on four plays. So it's, uh, it's an absolute mess. Nobody wants to take credit or even blame for it. And they're just saying that they have a process, and that that process leads to a play being called. That's all they want to say, Ugh. you know. What? And which leads to another part of what Lacanfora was saying. Yeah, the Brian Flores does chase. He has chased uh, offensive coordinators out of here on a regular basis. It's it's a thing he likes to do. But you know, he wanted a longer term fix this time around, and it seems like uh, most people you talk to they say that Charlie Fry is like a rising star. And it seems like that's who's getting groomed for the job. But there's no evidence he's actually calling the place, except for Trent Delfer saying that he is. Well, so it's one of those things that nobody knows really who is in charge on the offensive side of the ball. And, and, and then when you look at the team as a whole, 
I mean, the failure and the, the failures by this team, it's clear to see why faith and patience among the fan base is kind of waning with this coaching staff. And now the national media is catching wind of it. And you, you and I both know you, you work in, you know, you, you work in capacities much larger than just sitting here bullshit with us over a couple beers with a podcast. You know that some of this is, hey, there's a narrative building among fans. Let's fan those flames a little bit because we can get some real attention. We can draw some eyeballs. It'll generate some clicks. It'll generate some ears and some eyes. It'd be great. But I see where this comes from. I mean, the the offensive line has declined from where it was supposed to be. And they failed to grow some of these rookie players. Austin Jackson, at this point, like when, when he was asked in a press conference... Brian Flores said that all options were on the table for him when they, he was asked in a press conference if they would consider moving him to guard. And to your point earlier this year in this podcast series, you talked about Liam Eikenberg actually looking better than him at left tackle. At some point, he may lose his job to this rookie, and if that happens, where do you put him? And Flores just goes, well, all options are on the table. Well, you took a, you took him in the first round. You took him in the first round. The same thing with Noe Benagane, which I think I finally said his name right. Chris, is that the first time? No. No. You've said it correctly after somebody has told you the correct pronunciation is of it. Is that the first time unprompted that I've ever said it correctly? Probably. Yes. All right. See, Elf? I'm learning. <laughs> I'm improving. <laughs> so it's one of those things where you look at these first-round draft picks and you say, okay, Austin Jackson, Noe Benagane, to a ton of Viola, no one looks like they've gotten better. The pass defense is 17th in the NFL, but you have the highest DB spending in the league at $50 million. You're 25th in scoring defense, despite all these assets that you've invested in the fact that you have a defensive-minded head coach. That was the pedigree that got him here. And I'm looking at a tweet from Barry Jackson, who was talking, and he's, the quote here, he, mean, he was talking about, well, what is this, uh, Greg Cote and Dave Hyde. Dave Hyde. He says on the this iteration of the fans rebuilding, the quote was, it looks like some cheap pyramid scheme revolving around a tomorrow that never arrives. I'm sure the fan base is feeling all of these things. Do you think that this is salvageable here at this point within the 2021 season? I mean, we're literally only 40, we're only four games in. Do you yeah, believe it's, that it's, when Tua comes back, some of this is salvageable? And that the team has some upshot. Yeah, the, it's salvageable because the quarterback is coming back. Because two is coming back, and then the the schedule gets really, really favorable. So you could see a situation where they turn it around rather quickly, and at midseason they're at five hundred. Then they make a strong push toward ten or eleven wins toward the end of the year. So it is salvageable. But they got to do some some things in the meantime before they salvage it. Uh, first of all, they have a snap count that's completely out of whack on most of their players. Last week, this is a team that has Adam Butler, Zach Sealer. Zach Sealer, by the way, who I keep telling everybody, watch him because he's one of the 10 best defensive tackles in football. But the Dolphins play him like he's just a backup. Although now he's starting to get a few more snaps per game, but he should be sharing the the lion's share, okay? But last week, they played... John Jenkins, who's a zero, he plays nose tackle. They played him more snaps than Adam Butler, Jalen Phillips, Christian Wilkins, Zach Sealer, and Emmanuel Ogba. 
more snaps than all of those guys. And in some cases, almost 20 snaps more than those guys. That's a mistake. The other mistake was Byron Jones got injured in the game. He left the game. So Nick Needham obviously is playing really, really well at at nickel. So who do they bring in? The guy from New England, uh, Justin Coleman. And he's absolutely horrendous <laughs> when he comes in. So they're making a lot of bad decisions as far as who's getting the snaps. Then you have uh, Miles Gaskin, who's averaging like 5.3 yards per carry. And he plays 12 snaps and gets like, what, five carries? Savan Ahmed, who we watched all preseason, you know, break off big runs and play like a wide receiver because he's fast. If he has one thing that he can do is that he's really, really fast. He gets five snaps in the game. And now all of a sudden, Malcolm Brown, a guy who's supposed to be just the goal line guy, is playing 34 snaps. So they have they have some serious issues as far as the team that they built and the team that they think that they have. Those two are not they're not coinciding with each other. It's there there's gonna be a lot of heavy lifting to do. And I just I feel like some real hard conversations have to take place over there. I I wouldn't <laughs> it's one of those things where I'd say I wouldn't enjoy it if it was my team, but thank God it isn't. Thank God it isn't. And it's gonna be interesting to see if they're willing to make them. I've seen a lot of coaches do this thing where they just say, look, I have a process. You don't need to know it, and I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm not going to make any drastic cuts or realignments. I'm not going to do anything. And they literally go down with the ship. It'll be interesting to see how when Flores is backed into a corner based on the team's performance and some underperforming, what he's willing to do or if he's willing to stay with the status quo. Next week is not going to get any better, though. You're going to hear a lot more of this, I think, because you guys are going up against the Buccaneers, and next week against the spread, you guys are getting 10.5 points. Do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, the 10.5 points, I might as well make it 40. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't <laughs> really matter. They tend to really play well in these hopeless situations. Uh, so maybe they could pull it out once again. As far as, you know, a competitive game against a really good opponent, maybe they could do that. But this past week was kind of important because in one sense, they could have faked it all the way through and won the game and been two and two, then turned over the team to Tua in a week at two and three and say, you know, we did some heavy lifting, but now you got to do just a little bit more just to get us out of this hole. This case, now they're going to turn it over, possibly one and four. And tell him, all right, save the season. And he's going to have to run off a pile of games, which he's capable of because the schedule does get really, really favorable. But last week was important in this all, in this respect as well. It was Shula Day on Sunday. If you remember, the, the coach passed this past mm-hmm. the offseason. Mm-hmm. And they had 10 players from the undefeated team. They had 30 players from, like, the 80s and 90s. They had players. Jason Taylor was there. Zach Thomas was there. All our favorites, uh, everybody. It was the largest contingent in the history of the franchise of Dolphin alumni at one game. Okay. And they were all there with the commissioner of football, who was also there to honor Don Shula, sitting right next to the owner, who was sitting right next to Dan Marino. And the word is that everybody got in his ear. So the pressure is on now. And now the owner got to hear from a lot of people oh. what the problems are and what the problems could be and what he has to do to fix them. 
So in a way, that was actually a good thing that that was so embarrassing because it's going to bring most of this to a head. Well, for for your sake, Elf, and for your friends over at Three Yards Per Carry, I hope it gets better because it, it, Chris and I did how many seasons of losing podcasts? Four, maybe. Four, four seasons where our team was just routinely getting kicked in the face. I'll tell you, it's, it's not as much fun as when you win some football games. When they do eventually turn around, where can people hear your show and uh, where can they follow you on Twitter? Uh, you can hear our show anywhere where you get your podcasts. It's the number three, Yards Per Carry. On Twitter, you can follow me at Alf underscore Artiaga. And, of course, our Twitter account is the number three, Yards Per Carry, also on Twitter. Alf Artiaga, Scott Mason, Christian Simonelli. They're just like triple threat from ECW. Top of the game. Did you use that one already? No, I used the Jersey Triad. Uh, I used that one, I think, last week. Oh, I've been waiting. Which might have been better for you to use this week since the Giants and Jets both won. And they haven't won. I saw a stat that they haven't won a game on the same day since, like, 2019. (laughs) Oh, it must be hard to have those kind of peasant problems, right? Yeah. Because we, the Buffalo Bills, won 40 to nothing against the Texans. Now, for those of you who haven't, make sure you go back and listen to our recap podcast that dropped earlier this week. The Bills are the first team in the division to pitch a shutout, much less two of them through the first four weeks of the season. And in doing so, they've joined some pretty elite company. I mean... There's, I've seen the statistics thrown about. People have talked about, like, oh, the last team to get multiple shutouts in the early portion of the season. What was it? Four out of the five of them all made the Super Bowl, but they all lost? No. the two. I saw a stat about early shutouts, and we were in – I don't remember the, the tweet I saw, but we were in the conversation with the 2000 Ravens that ended up beating the shit out of the Giants in the Super Bowl. Well, here's what I see. I look at Aaron Schatz, you know, football outsiders, Aaron Schatz. And he was just talking after Sunday's game about how incredible this was. The Bills' performance through the early going of this season. Because everyone, Chris, because rightfully so, people who are detractors go, well, look who you beat. You beat Jacoby Brissett and Davis Mills and Taylor Heineke and... Well, we lost by a touchdown to Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. I have no idea how that happened based on what the Steelers have been. Aaron Schatz puts out on Twitter this chart. He says, Buffalo now is the third best defensive DVOA ever measured through four games. Opponent adjustments are applied at 40% strength for each of these teams. The teams ahead of us are the 2019 New England Patriots, who... I feel like the 2019 the 2019 Patriots, that was a defense basically carrying the shell of Tom Brady. Correct. The 1984 Chicago Bears. Not the 85? Not the 85. The 84. He went on to also say something about the 85 Bears and how the Bills, he was talking about the individual game performance. The Bears in their Super Bowl win didn't have a better score, according to DVOA, than the Buffalo Bills had against the Texans. That's how thorough of a beating that was. One of the things that stands out to me, though, when you look at this is, okay, what does that mean for Buffalo? You can talk all you want about 
all of the grades and everything else. I mean, uh, Frank Schwab from Yahoo says, I get it. The Bills are beating up on bad teams, but they're beating those teams up. They look like Super Bowl contenders we thought they were before the season. And Aaron Schatz goes, the best indicator of a championship team is the way they beat the hell out of bad opponents. Not just beat them, but beat them so badly. Big wins are big wins even after you adjust for opponent strength. Chris, do you feel a little bit of that as a Bills fan? Like, when's the last time we 40 nothing to team? It's been a while. I... If it happened, I was too drunk to remember. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's, this is like all nice and good, but like the teams that we've played are more towards the bottom of the league. That's why I'm looking forward to Sunday's game against the Chiefs because now our defense has a real offense to compete with. That's okay. what I'm excited for. Ben B. Baldwin on Twitter, right? Ben B. Baldwin. For those of you who want to, he goes by Computer Cowboy. Does he have a publication? Ah, Computer Cowboy. Open source. He works for The Athletic. Okay? Pretty reputable. Pretty reputable. Also for sale. King of charts. Guy has graphs and charts out the ass. He says, it's Tuesday chart dump time. And I have. A, if you go follow us over at Rockpile Report, at Rockpile Report, you will find this. He says, the Bills are great and possibly the best team in the NFL, but there is also 100% chance that this defensive performance isn't sustainable because their games have been against Pittsburgh, Miami, Washington, and Houston. What he has is his week four NFL tiers. It's on an XY axis, and you look at the offense and expected EPA per play, and then the defense on an EPA per play basis. Chris? I'm going to turn my laptop around to you. Yeah, you could easily just... How much farther <laughs> on top of everyone else are the Buffalo Bills? This chart that you're showing me right now, what to me it looks like, if you guys want a visual, which it's been all over Twitter, think of Spencer Brown doing the height thing to the <laughs> Texans player. That's what this chart is. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so high. I can't see you. Yeah. And then he, he casually points out, look at the, he goes, all these teams moving around and the Chiefs are just sitting here in the lower right-hand corner. Because on offense, they are the most explosive team in football. And on defense, they are the worst team in football. It's, it's incredible, right? Yeah. And so in that way, this week's matchup really is like, Unstoppable force against unmovable object. It's it's a clash of the titans. Are you surprised to see that we're a, that we're an underdog still? Yeah. Even with all the struggles, even that we have a better record, even knowing that we maybe have better quality of talent. I mean, if you go back and listen to our preview show with Brett Coleman this week, you'll you'll hear a little bit of that. You'll, you'll get some of the finer nuances of why I think the Bills are the more talented roster. The fact the Bills are three points, not three and a half, but three. That means it's even because you get three for home. So it's, I'm totally fine with the line. This is technically a pick em game. It's the two best teams in the AFC going head-to-head on, on Sunday night football. Who do you think wins this game? 
God. Um, you and me haven't made a Seagram's bet all year. I honestly think Buffalo's going to win the game. You think Buffalo? Yeah. All right. I, I, it's going to be close, but I think it might come down to, to Tyler Bass. I honestly think we're winning this football game. I'll tell you what. I will take the Chiefs, and here's why. They need this game. We talked about it in our in our preview show, which I'm, again, go back, listen to it if you haven't already. We're going to get the kitchen sink treatment from this Kansas City offense. No one has been able to stop them so far. Do I want to believe in my heart of hearts as a Bills fan that we have it in us to just smash these guys? Do what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did last year and just punch them in the face and say, listen, we're the better football team. I don't know. Because so much of what Tampa Bay accomplished was based on raw physicality. And we don't have that. Instead, what we have is a lot of guys who are playing really well against subpar competition, but also really well within the structure of the offense and defense that we've created. There is no road grader here, right? Yeah. We do, we can't run the ball down their throats. We can't... They have an offensive line that's playing decent for as young as they are. I really expected them to fall off a cliff. I just feel like three points, three points, a field goal game. Like, I just, I don't, I don't see the Bills winning this game because the Chiefs need it more than we do. And I feel like they, they have a better sense of what urgency is. They have a better sense of, hey, desperation time. We need to be great. They've done it, and the Bills haven't. True or false? Yeah, that's true. Okay. I'll take the Chiefs until they prove me wrong. And, Chris, I hope I hope that this is the best Seagrams I ever have to drink. We're going to get back here next week, come back and do this roundup, and I swear to God, if the Bills, if the Bills win... We'll start the show, regardless of what the standings are. I don't know if you guys have caught on by now, but we do the show with appearances, and we're in reverse order of the standings. We'll start the show with me eating a boatload of crow, drinking a frosty Seagram's, probably something disgusting that Chris has procured for me. Yeah. See, well... You know that I like those Calypso ones, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get rid of the red ones first. This is a, so the game is, is, is Sunday night, and this is what I'm... Hoping for. I haven't been able to watch a game for you because most of you know that I work on on Sunday. But we've at work we have just implemented mandatory overtime. So if somebody, if you're at basically, it's, if you're at work and somebody at the next shift calls off, you might get forced overtime. And it goes by seniority. And I'm at the bottom. There's one person below me who had to stay on Sunday. So the next time mandatory overtime is needed, I'm the guy that stays. And I'm praying that that doesn't happen on Sunday at 6.50 when I'm getting ready to leave work to go home, shower, and come watch the game with you that I'm not forced to stay at work. Dude, if there was ever if there was ever a time for someone to pull a fire alarm, it would be that night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I can't wait. It's going to be a crazy week. And when you look ahead for the division itself, you have two teams that probably aren't used to being favored, being favored. 
you've got two, what? Well, no, you have one. You have one favorite. Only because they're playing a team that just got waxed 40 to nothing in the Patriots. Everyone else in the division is an underdog for the first time all season. Yeah. This is crazy. That could be another Seagram's bet if Belichick holds Davis Mills to fewer passing yards than what we held him to. No, there's, it's not possible. I believe Davis Mills had under 87 yards. 87 yards. You think Belichick could hold him under 87? No, not at all. I think I think the way you think he can. That'd be close. I think it's, oh, I think Are it's, you willing to risk a Seagram's bet? Dual Seagram's? I mean, Same we, podcast? I mean, well, we did make that Seagram's bet on the coverage map. Yeah, that did so, not go my way. So, that so, did not go well. No. That's why I'm trying to get some get back. Because I don't want to be the only loser over here. Yeah, but it's... So come on now, you want to roll the dice? It, Do we all want to drink a Seagram's over here? It, it goes. Yeah, it just goes to uh, the odd type of bet we could throw a Seagram's at. Coverage map if Davis Mills... <laughs> I think... I think he, did you game losing heart? I th- given 13 yards, I think Belichick can hold him under 100. I'll take that. Boom! Yes! We got multiple Seagram's bets. Same podcast. So now you have to come back next week for the AFC East Roundup to find out who's drinking what. But folks, for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. Huge shout-out to our guests tonight. Everybody's great. This is why I love doing this show. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this has been your AFC East Roundup. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.